Jesus, our Savior and Friend. The Book of Luke by John M. Fowler Edited for audio by the Ambassador Group Exploration 10 Following Jesus in Everyday Life And the Apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. Luke chapter 17, verse 5 New King James Version Though a great teacher, Jesus did not establish a school of theology or philosophy. His purpose was to seek and save that which was lost. He came to reveal the character of God, a revelation that culminated in the cross, where he not only showed humanity and unfallen worlds what God was really like, but he also paid the penalty for sin so that human beings, despite their fallen nature, could be redeemed. In doing this, he also created a redeemed community, a community of those who, having been saved by his death, have chosen to model his life and teachings. The call to be part of this redeemed community is a call not to a preferred status in life, but to an absolute allegiance to the one who calls, to Christ himself. What he says becomes the disciple's law of life. What he desires becomes the disciple's sole purpose in life. No amount of outward goodness or doctrinal perfection can take the place of total allegiance to Christ and his will. Discipleship, which we owe exclusively to the indwelling Christ, makes certain imperative requirements. No competition and no substitute is permitted. Flee Pharisaism Of the more than 80 references to Pharisees in the Gospels, approximately 25% of them are found in Luke. Pharisees were noted for their doctrinal conservatism, as opposed to Sadducees, who were known for their liberal ideas. Pharisees were often legalists, who, while professing to believe in grace, taught salvation by the keeping of the law. Let's listen to Jesus speaking on another occasion, reported in Luke chapter 11, verses 37 through 54. What exactly is Jesus warning about? And how is this same principle manifested today? Luke chapter 11, verses 37 through 54, from the Amplified Bible. Now while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee invited him to take dinner with him. So he entered and reclined at table. The Pharisee noticed and was astonished to see that Jesus did not first wash before dinner. But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the plate, but inside you yourselves are full of greed and robbery and extortion and malice and wickedness. You senseless, foolish, stupid ones acting without reflection or intelligence. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But dedicate your inner self and give as donations to the poor of those things which are within 
of inward righteousness. And behold, everything is purified and clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every little herb, but disregard and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogue, and you love to be greeted and bowed down to in the public marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like graves which are not marked or seen, and men walk over them without being aware of it, and are ceremonially defiled. One of the experts in the Mosaic Law answered him, Teacher, in saying this, you reproach and outrage and affront even us. But he said, Woe to you, the lawyers also, for you load men with oppressive burdens hard to bear, and you do not personally, even gently, touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you are rebuilding and repairing the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed and destroyed. So you bear witness and give your full approval and consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they actually killed them, and you rebuild and repair monuments to them. For this reason also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will put to death and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against and required of this age and generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was slain between the altar and the sanctuary, yes, I tell you, it shall be charged against and required of this age and generation. Woe to you, lawyers, experts in the Mosaic law, for you have taken away the key to knowledge. You did not go in yourselves, and you hindered and prevented those who were entering. As he left there, the scribes and the Pharisees followed him closely, and they began to be enraged with and set themselves violently against him, and to draw him out and provoke him to speak of many things secretly watching and plotting and lying in wait for him to seize upon something he might say that they might accuse him. How can you make sure that you, in your own ways, don't reflect some of the things that Jesus warned against? A review of the woes Jesus pronounced on the Pharisees and the scribes shows how much the call to true religion crosses every generation, including our own generation. For example, while tithing is a joyful acknowledgement of God's provision, it can never be a substitute for the basic demands of love and justice in human relations. These same ones who neglect justice and the love of God love instead the most important seats in the synagogues. Verses 42 and 43 New International Version. Talk about missing the point of true faith. Jesus also warned that those who equate true religion with outward rituals alone are really unclean, somewhat like those who come in contact with the dead. 
We will hear Jesus' words in the book of Luke, and then we will hear what the original Mosaic law said. Luke chapter 11, verse 44 says, Woe to you, for you are like graves which are not marked or seen, and men walk over them without being aware of it, and are ceremonially defiled. Numbers chapter 19, verse 16, tells us the original Mosaic law. And whoever in the open field touches one who is slain with the sword, or a dead body, or a bone of a dead man, or a grave, shall be unclean for seven days. How easy to confuse what's trivial with what's sacred in the eyes of God. Also, Jesus pronounced a woe on the experts in the law who use their education and experience to place intolerable religious burdens on others, while they themselves do not touch the burdens with one of their fingers. Luke chapter 11, verse 46, New King James Version. Meanwhile, the Pharisees honored the prophets no longer alive, but worked against the living ones. Even as Jesus spoke, some were plotting to kill the Son of God. What is important is not the honoring of prophets, but the heeding of their prophetic message of love, mercy, and judgment. The last woe is a terrible one. Some who had been entrusted with the key to God's kingdom had failed in their trusteeship. Instead of using the key wisely and letting God's people come into the kingdom, they had locked them out and thrown away the key. Fear God. Fear God and give glory to Him. Revelation chapter 14, verse 7, New King James Version, is the first of the three angels' messages, so central to Seventh-day Adventists' life and faith. Fearing God is not being afraid, as it is often thought to be. It is realizing just who God is and what His claims on us are. It is an act of faith that involves total allegiance to Him. God becomes the sole definer and arbiter of our life, our thoughts, actions, relationships, and destiny. Discipleship based on that kind of fear stands on unshakable ground. Listen to Luke chapter 12, verses 4 through 12 from the Amplified Bible. What is Jesus saying to you in these verses about fear? I tell you, my friends, do not dread and be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom you should fear. Fear him who after killing has power to hurl into hell, Gehenna. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And yet not one of them is forgotten or uncared for in the presence of God. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not be struck with fear or seized with alarm. You are of greater worth than many flocks of sparrows. And I tell you, 
Whoever declares openly, speaking out freely, and confesses that he is my worshiper and acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will declare and confess and acknowledge him before the angels of God. But he who disowns and denies and rejects and refuses to acknowledge me before men will be disowned and denied and rejected and refused acknowledgement in the presence of the angels of God. And everyone who makes a statement or speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, that is, whoever intentionally comes short of the reverence due the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. For him there is no forgiveness. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the magistrates and the authorities, do not be anxious beforehand how you shall reply in defense or what you are to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour and moment what you ought to say. The passage shows us whom to fear and whom not to fear. We need not fear forces that can affect only our body in the present world. Instead, we must fear and obey God, because in His hands is our eternal destiny. Luke chapter 12, verses 6 and 7 assure you of His commitment to you. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And yet, not one of them is forgotten or uncared for in the presence of God. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not be struck with fear or seized with alarm. You are of greater worth than many flocks of sparrows. Our God, whose eyes are on the sparrow and who has numbered the hairs on our head, is loving and caring. Friend, you are infinitely precious in His sight. Think about it. If you truly believed that, how many of your earthly fears would vanish? Jesus also speaks plainly about our tendency to be greedy in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. What is Jesus warning about? Someone from the crowd said to him, Master, order my brother to divide the inheritance and share it with me. But he told him, Man, who has appointed me a judge or umpire and divider over you? And he said to them, Guard yourselves and keep free from all covetousness, the immoderate desire for wealth, the greedy longing to have more. For a man's life does not consist in and is not derived from possessing overflowing abundance or that which is over and above his needs. Then he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was fertile and yielded plentifully. And he considered and debated within himself, What shall I do? I have no place in which to gather my harvest. And he said, I will do this. I will pull down my storehouses and build larger ones, 
and there I will store all my grain or produce and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many good things laid up, enough for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself merrily. But God said to him, You fool! This very night the messengers of God will demand your soul of you, and all the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with the one who continues to lay up and hoard possessions for himself, and is not rich in his relation to God. This is how he fares. While Jesus refuses to intervene between two brothers quarreling over the division of property, he does emphasize the relevance of the Tenth Commandment against the evil of covetousness and points out a significant truth for all time. Life is not made up of things. Let's hear the details of the Tenth Commandment in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17 in the Amplified Bible. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, or his manservant, or his maidservant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Also from the Amplified Bible, Luke chapter 12, verse 15 says, And he said to them, Guard yourselves, and keep free from all covetousness, the immoderate desire for wealth, the greedy longing to have more. For a man's life does not consist in, and is not derived from, possessing overflowing abundance, or that which is over and above his needs. The rich foolish man lived in a little world restricted to himself. Nothing else mattered to him. How careful we need to be not to fall into this same trap. This is especially true for those who have been blessed with an abundance of material goods. Don't you enjoy material things? But when you compare them in the light of eternity, how little ultimate satisfaction they can really give you. Instead of always being focused on how much stuff you have, focus on being generous in your relationship with God. Be prepared and watchful. Vigilance and fidelity have been required of Christ's followers in every age. But now that we are standing upon the very verge of the eternal world, holding the truths we do, having so great light, so important a work, we must double our diligence. That timely admonition is from Ellen G. White in her book entitled Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5 pages 460 and 461. Let's listen to Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 53 in the Amplified Bible. What do these verses mean specifically to you? Keep your loins girded and your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to return home from the marriage feast, 
so that when he returns from the wedding and comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed, happy, fortunate, and to be envied are those servants whom the master finds awake and alert and watching when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will gird himself and have them recline at table and will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch, before midnight, or the third watch, after midnight, and finds them so, blessed, happy, fortunate, and to be envied are those servants. But of this be assured, if the householder had known at what time the burglar was coming, he would have been awake and alert and watching, and would not have permitted his house to be dug through and broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour and a moment when you do not anticipate it. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us, or for all alike? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful steward, the wise man whom his master will set over those in his household service to supply them with their allowance of food at the appointed time? Blessed, happy, and to be envied is that servant whom the master finds so doing when he arrives. Truly, I tell you, he will set him in charge over all his possessions. But if that servant says in his heart, My master is late in coming, and begins to strike the men servants and the maids, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour which he does not know, and will punish him, and cut him off, and assign his lot with the unfaithful. And that servant, who knew his master's will, but did not get ready, or act as he would wish him to act, shall be beaten with many lashes. But he who did not know, and did things worthy of a beating, shall be beaten with few lashes. For every one to whom much is given, of him shall much be required. And of him to whom men entrust much, they will require and demand all the more. I have come to cast fire upon the earth, and how I wish that it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and how greatly and sorely I am urged on, impelled, constrained until it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I have come to give peace upon earth? No, I say to you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house there will be five divided among themselves, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Christians cannot afford to be lax or lethargic. The context of his sure return and the unknown hour of Jesus' return should drive us to have our robes girded and our lamps trimmed and burning. The eschatological hope must be the driving force of our life and work, our readiness and faithfulness. It is this faithfulness to do His will on earth and readiness to meet Him in peace 
that distinguishes between good and evil servants. Any neglect of faithfulness on the pretext that my master is delaying his coming is placing oneself under the severest form of God's judgment. The more the privilege, the greater the responsibility. In other words, from those who are given much, much will be expected. The ancient prophet's judgment. Woe to you who are at ease in Zion. Amos chapter 6 verse 1, New King James Version, seems reflected in Christ's warning that Christian discipleship is not a state of ease. Paul explains the Christian life as one of spiritual warfare in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. This is how the Amplified Bible describes the reality. For we are not wrestling with flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents, but against the despotisms, against the powers, against the master spirits who are the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spirit forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural sphere. The focal point is that every Christian is involved in the cosmic conflict between Christ and Satan, and the cross draws a clear line between the two. Friend, only by continual faith in the Christ of the cross can you find final victory. Luke chapter 12, verse 48, in the New King James Version says, For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required, and to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. What do these words mean to you? Be a fruitful witness. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and their eternal counsel before the foundation of the world, laid the plan of salvation. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. That is, even before the first human was created, and, of course, before the first humans sinned, God had a plan in place to rescue the world. The plan is rooted in the cross, and the good news of the cross must be told to everyone in the world. The responsibility of that witness is placed on every Christian. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Acts chapter 1 verse 9 New King James Version. The final charge of Jesus underscores the importance the Lord placed on the witnessing role of his followers. What lessons do you, as a Christian witness, learn from the parable of the sower and the soil? The parable is recorded in Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. This is Jesus' parable, as told in the Amplified Bible. And when a very great throng was gathering together, and people from town after town kept coming to Jesus, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow seed, and as he sowed, 
Some fell along the traveled path and was trodden underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. And some seed fell on the rock, and as soon as it sprouted, it withered away because it had no moisture. And other seed fell in the midst of the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it off. And some seed fell in the good soil, and grew up and yielded a crop a hundred times as great. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him be listening, and let him consider and understand by hearing. And when his disciples asked him the meaning of this parable, he said to them, To you it has been given, to come progressively to know, to recognize and understand more strongly and clearly the mysteries and secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that, though looking, they may not see, and hearing, they may not comprehend. Now the meaning of the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those along the traveled road are the people who have heard then the devil comes and carries away the message out of their hearts, that they may not believe, acknowledge me as their Savior, and devote themselves to me, and be saved, here and hereafter. And those upon the rock are the people who, when they hear the word, receive and welcome it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of trial and temptation, fall away withdraw and stand aloof. And as for what fell among the thorns, these are the people who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked and suffocated with the anxieties and cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not ripen, come to maturity and perfection. But as for that seed in the good soil, these are the people who, hearing the word, hold it fast in a just, noble, virtuous and worthy heart, and steadily bring forth fruit with patience. What and when is the reward of the one who witnesses? Luke chapter 18 verses 24 through 30 in the Amplified Bible answers this question. Jesus observing him said, How difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to enter through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with men is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our own things, home, family, and business, and have followed you. And he said to them, I say to you truly, there is no one who has left house or wife or brother or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive in return many times more in this world and in the coming age eternal life. Luke chapter 19 verses 11 through 27 tells us of another parable Jesus told. The Parable of the Minas Now as they were listening to these things, he proceeded to tell a parable, because he was approaching Jerusalem, and because they thought that the kingdom of God was going to be brought to light, 
and shone forth immediately. He therefore said, A certain nobleman went into a distant country to obtain for himself a kingdom, and then to return. Calling ten of his own bondservants, he gave them ten minas, each equal to about one hundred days' wages, or nearly twenty dollars, and said to them, Buy and sell with these, while I go and then return. But his citizens detested him, and sent an embassy after him, to say, We do not want this man to become ruler over us. When he returned, after having received the kingdom, he ordered those bondservants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much each one had made by buying and selling. The first one came before him and said, Lord, your mina has made ten additional minas. And he said to him, Well done, excellent bondservant. Because you have been faithful and trustworthy in a very little thing, you shall have authority over ten cities. The second one also came and said, Lord, your mina has made five more minas. And he said also to him, And you will take charge over five cities. Then another one came and said, Lord, here is your mina, which I have kept laid up in a handkerchief. For I was constantly afraid of you, because you are a stern, hard, severe man. You pick up what you did not lay down, and you reap what you did not sow. He said to the servant, I will judge and condemn you out of your own mouth, you wicked slave. You knew, did you, that I was a stern, hard, severe man, picking up what I did not lay down, and reaping what I did not sow. Then why did you not put my money in a bank, so that on my return I might have collected it with interest? And he said to the bystanders, Take the mina away from him, and give it to him who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas already. And, said Jesus, I tell you that to everyone who gets and has will more be given. But from the man who does not get and does not have, even what he has will be taken away. The indignant king ended by saying, But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, Bring them here and slaughter them in my presence. What does the parable of the Minas teach about faithfulness and responsibility in witnessing? In each of these texts and others, the dangers, the responsibilities, and the rewards of witnessing and faith are revealed. We have been charged with the solemn responsibility, but considering what we have been given, how little is really asked of us. Be a servant leader. Luke chapter 22 verses 24 through 27, reveals that even as the disciples were preparing for the Last Supper, 
they were arguing about who among them would be the greatest in the kingdom. Notice how Jesus responds to their foolishness and what is so revolutionary about his reply. Luke chapter 22, verses 24 through 27 say in the Amplified Bible, Now an eager contention arose among them as to which of them was considered and reputed to be the greatest. But Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles are defied by them and exercise lordship, ruling as emperor gods over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors and well-doers. But this is not to be so with you. On the contrary, let him who is the greatest among you become like the youngest, and him who is the chief and leader like one who serves. For who is the greater, the one who reclines at the table, the master, or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am in your midst as one who serves. Jesus' answer is unique in the history of leadership. Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar, Alexander, Julius Caesar, Napoleon, and Genghis Khan all saw leadership in terms of power and authority over others. That's pretty much how the world has always worked in regard to power. But not so among you. On the contrary, said Jesus, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. Luke chapter 22, verse 26, New King James Version. In so saying, the Lord of the universe reversed the definition of leadership, as Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 through 28 in the New International Version say, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. In so defining servanthood and self-denial as the core principles of his way in his leadership, Jesus introduced a new dynamic to human relations. Fulfillment comes not from power, but from service. Leadership derives its authority not from position, but from servanthood. Transformation begins not with the throne, but with the cross. To live is to die. John chapter 12, verse 24. Luke chapter 9, verses 46 through 48, tells us that something similar arose among Jesus' disciples about who would be the greatest. The principles of the world were still firmly entrenched in his disciples' minds. Luke chapter 9, verses 46 through 48, Amplified Bible says, But a controversy arose among them as to which of them might be the greatest, surpassing the others in excellence, worth, and authority. But Jesus, as he perceived the thoughts of their hearts, took a little child and put him at its side and told them, Whoever receives and accepts and welcomes this child in my name receives and accepts and welcomes me. And whoever so receives me, so also receives him who sent me. 
For he who is least and lowliest among you all, he is the one who is truly great. The master's answer gets to the heart of the problem and poses one of the most difficult challenges in life in general and in the Christian life in particular. Jesus' words, especially the part about being the least among you, show how completely backward the world's priorities are. With the principles of the world so totally opposite of what Jesus taught, how do you survive if you implement His principles in your life? Let's continue exploring. Who has the heart? With whom are our thoughts? Of whom do we love to converse? Who has our warmest affections and our best energies? If we are Christ's, our thoughts are with Him, and our sweetest thoughts are of Him. All we have and are is consecrated to Him. We long to bear His image, breathe His Spirit, do His will, and please Him in all things. Ellen G. White, in her book entitled Steps to Christ. Those words were found on page 58. She also wrote this thought in her book entitled Education on page 309. In our life here, earthly, sin-restricted though it is, the greatest joy and the highest education are in service. And in the future state, untrammeled by the limitations of sinful humanity, it is in service that our greatest joy and our highest education will be found. Witnessing, and ever as we witness, learning anew, the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27 Now, it's time to ask a few more life application questions. 1. Jesus called the rich and successful farmer a fool. Here are his words, as reported in Luke chapter 12, verse 20. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall these things be? which thou hast provided. One may not be rich or successful, but what makes one a fool in the sight of God? 2. In some churches, it seems like there are two groups. The first group are the professionals, the business executives, the church and community leaders, and the influential, all who get respect, notice, and regard. The second group consists of the silent and the seemingly insignificant ones who just come and go without anyone taking note of them. What can you do to make this silent group feel just as important as the first professional group? 3. Though it is easy today to deride the Pharisees for the way that they perverted the faith, how can you be sure that, if you are zealous for the faith, you are not in danger of making the same mistakes. How do you stand firm for what is right 
without becoming a Pharisee? Or even more important, how do you determine what is right and what is really worth fighting for? Four, how do you maintain an attitude of vigilance and readiness for the return of Jesus when, with each passing year, it seems that it gets easier and easier to become less vigilant? AmbassadorGroup.org This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.